Welcome back to Footsteps in the Attic, the podcast dedicated to all things strange and paranormal. And I have to say, this episode tonight is going to be one of my all-time favorites because I have an extraordinary gentleman tonight. In 1964, a television show aired, which I believe is one of the greatest in television history, and I'm not embellishing. It's a show that starred Yvonne DiCarlo, of course, Fred Gwynn, Al Lewis, Beverly Owens, slash Pat Priests, and my guest tonight, the amazing Butch Patrick, a.k.a. Eddie Munster. Butch, how you doing tonight? I'm doing just great. Thank you for that very nice introduction about myself and my fellow cast members and the show. I have to tell you, I'm so honored to have you because even as a kid, when I watched this show, I wanted to live with the Munsters. I loved the house. I loved the characters. I mean, you've left such an impression on pop culture. I mean, what is that like to be part of a show like that? It's actually very... um very rewarding and it's very uh, heartfelt. Uh, I'm, I'm very blessed to go out and when I uh, do personal appearances, the fan base is nothing less than phenomenal, especially when you consider it's a two year show from 57 years ago. And, <laughs> and the fact that people are raising their children and watching it and turning their kids onto it and they're having great memories that they watched it with their parents and their grandparents it's it's really uh it's it's something very special well you guys made it that way it's just the cast was just perfect honestly it's just a perfect cast and you were a very successful actor before the monsters so you're a working actor and then this drops into your lap and I actually read that you were on the East Coast at the time, so you were literally commuting from the East Coast to the West Coast to do this, right? Well, you were, you're right on part of that. I was living in the Midwest with my grandmother, but the, the way it came about is my mom had married a, a baseball player with the Californians, well, back then the Los Angeles Angels, excuse me. Sure. Uh, when they got married and he was traded to the Washington Senators and obviously she and him and she, my little sister who was like five at the time and I would think I was 10, they all took off to the East Coast and what I did is I decided to stop in Illinois and live with my grandmother for a year and go to school there. Right. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot and during that tenure there it was when the Munsters was being cast, actually was cast went into a pilot form with two different people. Uh, uh, Joan Marshall was playing a, a mother named Phoebe as opposed to Lily Munster. It was Phoebe Munster. And they had another kid named Happy Derman playing Eddie character. And the network saw the pilot and said, yes, it's a green light to go, but we need to change Phoebe. Uh, she looks too much like uh, Carolyn Jones and as, as Morticia Adams in right. Dark Hair. Garb. So they brought in Yvonne DiCarlo, which was a stroke of genius because number one, the star, the star power, and the name recognition was was much better. And she played Lily uh, with, with lighter clothing on, and it was a good play. And then also, the uh, the kid they had him playing him a little bit more of an angry, rabid little <laughs> boy, yeah, as opposed, to, as opposed to the regular kid that that I portrayed him as. So luckily, luckily for me and also for Bill Mooney, they actually offered him the role as well. And he turned it down um, because of um, makeup issues. They didn't, his mom. Oh, wow. Makeup apparently. So what happened was my agent caught wind of this and told them that I've got the perfect kid for you. And they said, no, we've looked at every kid in Hollywood and 
she said, well, here's the deal. He's not in Hollywood right now. He's in Illinois. And I think they looked at some footage from me doing the real McCoys or something and uh, convinced them to fly me out, which they did. And then I um, got the part, went straight to the studio for a screen test with Yvonne. They said, make arrangements to report to work. So now I moved in with my uncle, who I was, you know, was like a father figure to me anyway. And yeah. that we hired a woman to take me to work every day. Uh, make a long story short, I did fly back to D.C. once a month to visit my mom for the weekend. That's incredible. And, and I, I read something about you that made me laugh. You said you think what helped you get the part was you had naturally sharp teeth anyway. Is that true? My eye teeth, yes. Those, when you see me like kind of like pursing my lips and you see my teeth sticking through, those were actually my eye teeth. And, that, I, and I wore retainers during the show that I would take out whenever we would film. I'd drop them in a cup of water on the camera. But um, <laughs> yeah, I had, I had horrible teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, horrible. They might have been horrible teeth, but your performance was spot on. Like You were hilarious on the show. And I, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I mean that. Um, I, you, you mentioned something earlier, which I found very interesting. Um, of course, around the same time, another studio cranked out the Adams family. And what I always found to be funnier than the Adams family was the ability of the Munsters to play it more straight, to play it more like the typical American family who just happens to be in these wacky situations as opposed to being over the top and wacky. I don't know if you agree with that assessment, but I just, to me, the Munsters always won out if it was a comparison between the two. Well, to give you a, you're right. And to give you an example, first of all, the people that produced the Munsters had done Leave it to Beaver for six years very successfully. They were very good at the uh, kids and father and son and from a kid's point of view, um, doing a show. So that was great for my character because I was the only kid. So they, they right. implemented that. But what they did was um, they, they knew the Universal Monster Studio had the, the the franchise on how to do monster movies. And they had all these props and they, they knew how to you know build a set and, and make it scary and livable and this and that. But the, the interesting thing was, yes, it was the Frankenstein monster and Dracula and Vampira. But as soon as Fred Gwynn opened his mouth, he was <laughs> never, ever Frankenstein, you know. Right. Herman Munster, a lovable, he's dad, yeah, likable soul who happened to be looking a very, you know, very much like the Frankenstein monster. But there was that's where the that's where the um, that's where it ended. Basically, the comparison ended right then and there. So on paper, it didn't really look like it would be much of a show. But once the, as you mentioned, the chemistry of the family unit played well. Um, Herman kept a regular job at the, you know, they, they had a lot of jokes, you know, him working in the undertaker business. Yeah. Grandpa, you know, with the mad scientist coming up with the potions and the, and the, and the comic yuck yucks down in the, in the dungeon. But mainly it was, it was the sets and the, and the, and the, and the guest stars and the, uh, the cool cars and the special effects we had, the makeup we had, it was, it was really first rate on many levels. I, I can't even imagine what that was like. Even like, I always think of the classic intro where Herman smashes through the door and then you're following suit with your giant baseball bat and, what was that day like, that particular day, filming that intro? Because that's kind of, that welcomes all of us to the Munsters. Well, that was the beginning of the second season. That was actually the second season opening. The first season, we came down the stairway and... Uh, oh, that's right. Up. You got the kiss, right? <laughs> she tweaks me and I give her a little look up. Yes. But the, but the two things occurred that, that, number one, when you start the show, 
you don't really know how it's going to play out. So what happened was, is the first three or four episodes, well, the first 13 for that matter, with Beverly Owen, um, the show was done a little differently, in my opinion. It was more about Beverly's searching for love, and she was always the centerpiece of her boyfriends bringing her home to the front door, being greeted by Herman running away, her thinking, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me, Uncle Herman? <laughs> right. You had this very much of a setup of this beautiful blonde thinking that she's homely, and we think <laughs> that she's never going to find a bow and we're going to be stuck with her forever. But that was great, and it, and, it, and it worked really well. And Pat Priest came in and, and took over nicely because Beverly wanted to go home, and she was, was heartbroken. Yeah. So they let her go. But, but during the first 13 episodes, you had this characters establishing themselves and, and makeup changing a little bit in the first few episodes. And, and it, as it turned out, what they liked about it was having done the leave at the beaver they liked the fact that i could handle a lot of dialogue and i basically became an equal partner mm -hmm. when beverly left the show and pat priest stepped in they started writing a lot more scripts that would feature eddie and herman and me volunteering my dad to do stuff and him never wanting to disappoint his son so we got into a lot of mischief together and a lot of scripts were written about um herman's prowess at baseball or drag racing or golf <laughs> or all these things came about because he was very agile in that in those shoes and that outfit which made it very funny to see this seven foot tall guy um <laughs> really you know being very agile yeah oh my gosh yeah and and just these wacky situations like you with the beard i remember that clearly that cracked me up and then it gets that's dipped in the favorite, soup that's one of my favorite episodes uh, i didn't like it at the time because obviously i wasn't even shaving i didn't have <laughs> for three days and uh but it, but it was for the, the lines and the one-liners when grandpa would screw up and then herman wouldn't like that particular one i don't i hear something over there but there's nobody there oh <laughs> herman you know i'm right here and he, he goes there it is again there's, what is that noise and they have Funny, uh, they had very funny comedy routines and skits, but what happened was for me, which was, which was a good thing, is they played me off as a, an intelligent kid who was smarter and wiser beyond my years. Yes. Sometimes it would be the teacher became the student, meaning Herman, my father, and I and our father and son talks, a lot of times he would become more of the student and I would be the teacher. Oh, completely. Oh my gosh, yeah, you summed that up perfectly. What was that like working with Paul Lind in that episode? Because I remember he was the doctor, correct? Dudley, yeah. He was hilarious. And uh, of, that's one of the reasons that the, that episode of, uh, of Eddie's nickname where, uh, I mean, Herman had seen him before for his issues, but it was the first time Edward Wolfgang Munster, the son, comes in and he peeks through the peephole and sees me with a paper bag over my head. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my Goodness, this Mr. Munster's face was bad enough and bad as what they must look like if they cover it with a paper bag. <laughs> Pretty good impression, by the way. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's like, and he's taking, you know, the you, things that you can't get away with today, handfuls of tranquilizer you know, <laughs> to prepare himself for, or like, for, 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 for prepare himself for Herman Munster, or like when Grandpa was in the dungeon making go go pills for Eddie, you know? <laughs> oh, you're bringing it back. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, um, oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. That was a much easier and, and people were much more easy and lax back then. It was a different world. I agree. Scripts were written and, you know, and when I look back at, you know, it was 60, 57, 60 years ago, looking at my old favorite shows, it's amazing how, you know, the, 
cigarettes and, and martinis and cocktail hour <laughs> at an open bar, you know? <laughs> even, even smoking. You just don't, you don't even oh, see that anymore. As, as as a kid, this thing takes off and it's like gangbusters. You are everywhere. You're on lunch boxes. You're on, you know, there's figures. There's every product imaginable and you're doing all these personal appearances. What was that like for you personally? I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know how I would handle that. I personally would have preferred not to have done that stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the personal appearances myself, but I... You know, it was part of the deal, and I did it, and it was okay. And I, and you know, I, I remember I, I went to uh, Phoenix one time by myself. I mean, got on the plane by myself, put the makeup on by myself in the bathroom of the airplane. You're kidding? With Bob Burns. Bob Burns was uh, the, the the world's foremost gorilla man who had the best gorilla <laughs> suit and could act the best. And they had this character. He was Kogar, my pet. So I've got these these um, pictures of me getting off this plane, an old prop, as a matter of fact, it was like, you know, the DC, I don't know, whatever DC, four engine DC was, but, um, um, and we're getting off and we go to the opening of the first mall in the United States called the Thomas mall in, oh, wow. uh, in Phoenix. And I've got pictures of me with security and the announcer and me sitting at the table with 5,000 kids, uh, you know, handing out, you know, autographs for like six hours with me and Bob Burns in the background and it's like oh my god what have I got myself into (laughs) it's looking like I it's like I think I've made a mistake here you know Uh, (laughs) but at the same time nowadays what is what what, I mean it's it was great I mean it was it was it was fun it was popular it was only three days a week in makeup it wasn't like it was that bad right but as a kid even when you had short days like reading and rehearsal days for the adults they would go home after a couple hours right we're still school for three hours oh yeah you know and the only episodes you would see me in a lot if if you ever see like the eddie's nickname episode that would be shot in the summer when you didn't have schools but that's when they would add three more hours to your shooting uh which allowed them to make shows about eddie because they had that extra nine hours across the three shooting days so so even then but it went but it all worked out for the best it was a great show great memories um heavily merchandised toys very valuable today absolutely it's there's new toys being reissued constantly the monsters theme fallout boy uh, it's been recorded by the london pops i mean excuse me the boston pops the london philharmonic you name it uh, everything about the monsters and as you mentioned, very popular with people like Howard Stern and Rob Zombie and Paul McCartney and, and Brian Setzer. I mean, everybody in the business loved the 60s, the TV and the music business. And then the Munsters was right in the center of it. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. And it, honestly, it's it, I've even posted on social media today or, you know, in the past. Which do you prefer, the Munsters or Adam's Family? Because the Munsters are going to get my vote every single time. Because that's how much your performances and the show was ingrained into my childhood. I never missed an episode, and I've rewatched every single one of them multiple times, including the spinoff films. <laughs> so it's just, honestly, I have to thank you for that, and just thank you for blessing me with such happy memories of that show. And you really are an, an icon, and I, and I mean that sincerely. When 
you uh, mentioned the Adams family. Um, it's funny because another unique situation had had presented itself during that two-year period. We were on Thursday nights. They were on Friday nights. They did 63 episodes. We did 70. We were very much parallel universes. And the fact of you preferred one or the other, which was great. It, it, would, it would have been different had we been head-to-head. Right. But because we had alternate nights, it was, there was a very good chance you watched both of them and preferred one over the other. But you, right. But you were a fan and you watched them both. Right. I like that. Well said. <laughs> you you can have your cake and eat it too. We both benefited from each other's existence, so it was a it was a perfect storm in many levels. And um, and you know, for me, being a gearhead and and wanting to be you know a race car driver as a kid, I you know my Wednesday afternoons were the best any kid could ask for because I would get a long lunch and I would go to my little hot dog stand off the studio. Um, people <laughs> would look at me crazy because I would be in full makeup. <laughs> My little hot dog stand was right across the street from George Barris' shop. So I'll bet you always had your own hot dogs, right? But nobody, when they saw you coming with the makeup, they probably were like, oh, you here, let him go. <laughs> After my hot dog and my uh, apple pie, I would go over to George's shop and see what he was up to, which was always something very cool. And then I was off to my hobby shop to go pick up some slot car stuff because slot cars were all the rage. Absolutely. And- and I had a huge slot car track in my house, and I was a happy kid, you know. And I grew up around Stingray bikes and uh, go-karts and, you know, mini bikes and then motorcycles and dirt bikes and this and that. So I uh, I wouldn't have traded my childhood with anybody's. I, I kind of feel sorry for kids today that missed out on that kind of stuff. That's that's awesome and well said. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. In terms of uh, today's environment, I just... I enjoyed my childhood immensely and it's where kids could be kids and they could play with dangerous toys even and we you know we we all had fun <laughs> well, yeah, and I also was lucky I, I spent my fifth grade year with my grandma in a small town in, in Illinois and then after the Munsters I flew back and lived with her again in the eighth grade so in between this Hollywood stuff and my stepdad being a professional baseball player I had small town roots I actually bought my grant speaking of paranormal I brought my I yeah. bought my grant old house a few years ago to to save it from the wrecking ball which happened to be very haunted and, oh you're uh, kidding me for a couple of years um so yeah i mean i think the ba- i mean the balance of the a little bit of this and a little bit of that and the, the period of the mid 60s through the uh, i worked from 1960 to 74 so i had a really good window of um of creative music and uh tv and movies in that period and you know i was very happy I don't blame you. And, you know, I would sincerely argue that, you know, like film performance performances, for instance, they kind of come and go. But people are still watching the Munsters over and over today in syndication and loving it. So your career is eternal. It truly is. Uh, You know, and here's an interesting thing about it, too, is about. You know, I got when I finished the Munsters. Of course, like anybody else, I went back to junior high school and I was teased, and I didn't really want to hear too much about the Munsters because right, understandable. Kind of a sore spot in my and I. I lived thirty miles, about twenty five miles from Hollywood, so I really had a dual life. You know, I played little league, I played football, I rode dirt bikes and this and that, and I went to Hollywood to work, and I came back and I tried to keep them separate. So I, I wanted to be accepted by the regular guys and the regular kids. So, you know, when I got my Mach 1 when I was 16, you know, I'd get my mom to buy us beer so I could go down to the gas station with the older guys that were working on cars and, and hang out and, and be accepted as one of the guys. That's yeah. That was my, my goal, which I did pretty well. But the Munsters, what the funny thing about it was is now, and in, uh, in, when MTV came on the air and I did Eddie and the Monsters for um, rock videos, we wanted to make rock videos with them. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about your music. 
I wrote the lyrics and we did a little video and we were the first unsigned act on MTV and a little bit of a feather in our cap to help a lot of other unsigned talent. But that's when I reintroduced myself to the Munsters 18 years after the fact. And I reached out to Al Lewis and we reconnected as adults. And then we reached out to Pat Priest and then I reconnected with Yvonne DiCarlo and I saw Fred Gwynn occasionally. And what happened was is right back in the early eighties is when the conventions all started getting, um, traffic for yeah. like, Comic-Con and the Munsters was a very good show and a very good cast because it was very family friendly and it fit into several categories. Sure we had toys and sure we had comic books but we also had music and we had cars and we had you know classic horror and we fell into so many different categories that I found myself staying pretty busy if I wanted to and I enjoyed meeting the fans and they enjoyed meeting me so that kind of became like a secondary career. It's it's phenomenal, and I, I'm so grateful that there was this resurgence and you know this marketing blitz, and that people want to relive their childhood. And at the same time, younger generations are now discovering these shows, and 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 it's so great because it's truly what you said when television was so good and so golden. And I'm glad that the Munsters is now the show for a new generation growing up. Like you're going to be embedded. And, in, you know, the, the, your performance is going to be embedded in all these children now, which is great. Well, it's funny uh, to give me an example of David Copperfield. That He's a huge collector of stuff. And uh, I mean, he, bet, he collects all the magic stuff, but he also collects early TV stuff. He's a big fan of television uh, shows of the 60s. And he reached out to me uh, because he had bought some monster items. And next time I went to Las Vegas, he says, please re- look me up and come to my show. And I'd love to meet you. So I did. And he took me to his house, you know, and that's a place where most people don't get to go. Yeah. And he uh, had some monster stuff. But the funny thing was, is during dinner, he didn't know that I was on My Favorite Martian because he had just bought the spaceship. From <laughs> so I told him I was on that and he flipped me, flipped me the bird because he was jealous. And then I, <laughs> then I also had Mr. Ed and he flipped me another bird. And then I told him <laughs> the genie. So we got, we had this huge, great time because he was so, I mean, I hear he is. David Copperfield calls me on my phone. I go, what? I go, a million years. I never thought this was going to happen. You know what I mean? So we become buddies because of 60s television and the whole world is like that. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. It, it really connects everybody. Do you know what I mean? Those people yeah. with those, those memories and it's incredible. And like you, you, sometimes people come up, they say, um, do you ever get tired of it or, you know, at the table? And I go, you know something? No, it should be answered. If I, and if I did, I wouldn't do it because it's not fair to the people who are coming to the table. If you're doing it because you're trying to squeeze a buck or something, you know, this, it, the vibe isn't there. But if you enjoy meeting people and some people do and some people don't. Right. I a lot. But what I said, I told people, I go, how can you not feel good about being part of something that literally by sitting there and having people walk up to your table and big smiles come on their faces and they bring you something out of their collection to, to either have a photo taken or an autograph or purchase something or ta- or share a memory of uh, times with their grandparents when they were little kids watching it and what their favorite, favorite character was. If you can be part of someone's positive family you know, memories in a good way, and all you really have to do is smile and pose for a photo to make their day. You're one lucky sob. Wow, I, you know what? I really love your outlook on that and your approach to that. I, I wish 
everybody was like that. And, and, you know, your perspective, you were clearly that to me just shows how well grounded you are and how you were raised. And I'm sure your family is very proud of the human being you turned out to be. Well, I thank you. I enjoy meeting the people. It's fun. And I appreciate it. I'm in gratitude all the time about it. And it's just, it's so easy to make people, you know, a few minutes out of your time, out of your day, and and it and it works well. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's a joy to do it. And I am. I mean, if I die tomorrow, I mean, at least I will have been part of something that brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. And these people, I mean, you're part of their family. I mean, it's really amazing. You are about how important the show was to their upbringing, and that's kind of, and it's in a way, it's scary because it's like. <laughs> Even to this day and age, of all the technology, you know, technology and and everything that we've done, they still revert back to the simple times of the simpler t- memories that they share that are important. And young kids today are watching it with their parents and their grandparents and loving it. And I guess the family value thing is is playing off very well right now. Oh, absolutely. There's going to be a whole new generation of kids who want the Wolfgang doll, who want to grip onto it for security. <laughs> Number one asked question is where's Wolf Woof? <laughs> where's Wolf Woof? Did, did you ever, did you get to keep any props at all from the set? Or was that kind of like once you were done with it, you were like, okay, it was a job, I'm done? Or that, is... That's how I looked at it. And mm. yes, I used to take my ears off and bring them home to people and give them away. Or I would bring home a Herman headpiece that was supposed to be destroyed and give it away. <laughs> But what happened with Wolf Wolf was I was out doing an Ironside at Universal about five years after the fact. And Eddie Keys, who was then 93, was still working. He was Unreal. the prophet. He was in charge of Wolf Wolf. And he came up and gave him to me and said, put this in the trunk of your car and take him home. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I acquired Wolf Wolf. That is awesome. Well, th- there's no other home he should be in than yours. Yeah. That's that's yeah. Uh, That's like full circle right there. I've got two of them right now. I had well, he kind of fell apart, and I had to make a new one to replace him. And so I got Wolf, son of Wolf Wolf, and then I've got another gentleman with uh, making a new run for him because I've made a, I made over 120 of them over the last 30 years for sale. That's amazing. Builders and stuff because there was such a market for them. Well, you said speaking for sale. Like, where do people get a hold of you, and and where can they find? Butch Patrick, if they want to well, see you and interact with you. This, this is a real difficult one. So everybody, all your listeners, make sure you go get a pen because you're going to have to really remember this one. Munsters.com. There we go. <laughs> that shows what a brilliant marketer you are right there. That is almost <laughs> 30 years. People cannot forget this. <laughs> no. And, and it's another thing is it's like 13, 13 my, my uh, escape room that I do in, in my trailer when I go around the country with my cars is, is called 1313 Mockingbird Maze. And everybody remembers the 13th. It's got to be the most famous address on television because they emphasized it and they utilize it into the script so many times to set up okay we need to go over to 1313 a mr herman munster on mockingbird lane <laughs> it's brilliant <laughs> it is i i'll tell you about you're you're a very astute businessman and i absolutely love your work ethic because this man is always traveling and doing appearances and interacting with his fans so i mean it, it's incredible 
I've got a new one that, that people, your listeners, it's called Coach the Coast. It's a YouTube channel. I mean, everyone's got one these days. But a friend of mine who's a very successful YouTuber who also was a was a uh, hired, we, I did a series about eight years ago for a gentleman up at Carmel. Didn't go anywhere, but I met Dale Jackson, who's now my friend and, and co-producer of, the, it's called Coach the Coast, spelled with a K, like Munster Coach. And instead of C-O-A-S-T, it's K-O-A-S-T. And it's a YouTube channel, and it's very much like Charles Kuralt's On the Road. Uh, where he left off, I pick up about visiting small towns, uh, small town heroes. Uh, a lot of it's veteran driven, a lot of good, a lot of good stories about people who served and also uh, celebrities and their small town roots. And where, you know, I just did Ava Gardner, and Francis Farmer, and we did things for J- Jackie Coogan. So it's a, it's a mixture of celebrities and travel. And but it's basically a lot like Charles Kuralt. So if people enjoy little five to seven minute interesting things. Uh, me hosting it and winging it with a kind of like a, just me and Dale going out doing it like Charles did. I think you'll enjoy the show. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. And I will continue to plug that throughout the coming weeks because it's my honor to do that. Well, I certainly appreciate it. Um, just a couple more questions for you because I know you're on a, I know you, you're a busy man. <laughs> um, the the Munsters today, the the show remake. What did you think of that? I'm just curious about your impressions of that because to me it was like they were trying to you know uh, recreate something that was so special about the original and it didn't quite work. Well, it was it was done by uh, Arthur Schwartz, Sherwood's son mm-hmm. from uh, in the Brady's and Gilligan's Island. So it had you know it had good pedigree with it. And what they did is they the monsters. Uh, it's kind of a compliment. It really is. You know, uh, you know, imitation is the highest form. You know, is the highest form of flattery. So what they did is they wanted to do a color version and they wanted to make a few bucks, which they did. And the show ran for three years. Um, they all. I'm friends with Jason. I met John. I believe Meriwether is a good friend, and uh, you know they make no bones about it. They, you know, they knew it wasn't as good as the original, right? You know, and it wasn't meant to be. It was meant to just be a vehicle for kids that never saw the other one, and as for entertainment, and and it, and it did a good job at that. But um, as far as the the movies that were made, yes, after, you know, we had Monster Go Home, obviously that I was involved with, and yes. that was structured movie to make to introduce the world to the monsters versus uh, through a feature film release that way they could then syndicate the show out right so that pretty well and yeah they 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 upped the ante a little bit with the color and this and that but it's it, i actually just did um a narration on it last year with rob zombie oh that's for, phenomenal for the dvd release uh, on blu-ray so that was fun me and rob had a great time doing it uh, Rob is actually, you know, there have, there have been rumors around right now that there may be a new Monsters movie with him at the helm. It pops up in the uh, in the trades occasionally. Yes. Uh, as he has not signed on yet, but it doesn't mean the keyword is yet. Right. Um, it may happen, it may not happen. But the scary little Christmas that they did with uh, Sam McMurray, an Australian production, uh, more Monster stuff than they did uh, Monster's Revenge with Fred Allen and Yvonne in 1982 that was the year that I actually reconnected with Al Lewis and Fred uh, during that shoot I went out and saw them on location so that was done and then we had the Edward Herman uh, version with Veronica Hamill and um, the, the rest of the cast there In I believe that was in 
mid, I think 95, we did that where I did a cameo with with Pat, Al, and Yvonne at the table. And I think that was uh, the Munsters today or Here Come the Munsters. I don't know which one it was. I think it was Here Come the Munsters because Perfect. the Munsters today was the series. Right. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And so it was interesting to do that cameo because he- Edward Herman did a wonderful job of playing Fred Gwynn's character, Herman Munster. He did the best of any of them, I think, as far as the imitation. He tried very, very hard to give it, you know, credibility, and he did a good job. And uh, it was it was somewhat surreal sitting at the table with everybody and having him come up as Edward Herman. Just the name is weird. <laughs> right? Yeah. True. It was something strange about that whole thing, but that, that's it's it's uh, and then we, of course we did Mockingbird Lane. Yeah, um, and, uh, nine or eight about nine years ago I think it was that uh, the Jerry O'Connell with with Brian Singer and Brian Fuller, unbelievable talent in Hollywood with a ten million dollar budget. Uh, I thought for sure I actually introduced it at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, and I thought for sure it would get picked up because of nothing else, just to recover the money they spent on it. Yeah. Universal, the powers that be at Universal saw fit to not not uh, pick it up. I had a I had a reoccurring regular role in the, the show had it gone anywhere, so that would have been nice. But I went out the last day of the shoot, saw the set, was introduced. It was funny. I was um, I was sitting watching the the, uh, the the video monitor with Ian McKellen, sir. Ian. McKellen. Well, look at that. <laughs> And he's asking me about being a kid actor on the Munsters. It was like, I, mean, I can't believe it. This is so great. <laughs> this actors of, of, of all time is asking me about acting techniques. He goes, it must have been something back then. I go, yeah, it was. <laughs> well, that doesn't show how much you were loved and appreciated. I mean, what does? It does. And, and it's funny. Is one of the one of the things with my Coach to Coast channel is um, I'm, when, I go, when I'm going to be going on the road with the RV and doing, it's going to be an RV driven show and I'm going to be in a lot of RV parks with my Munster coach as my tow vehicle. So I know when I pull in, it's going to create quite a stir. But the idea is, is for me to interview other people. And I got, I got a feeling, no, I don't think I'm going to get too many people turning me down. Who would turn any Munster down? No one. No one's going to turn you down. I'm hoping that's the case. <laughs> no. And if they are, they're not worth interviewing in the first place. That's my personal perspective on it. I just have one final comment to say. If there is a feature film that does get developed, I'm, I'm saying this to any potential producers or studio execs, you better put Butch Patrick in the film. That's just, that's, that's, there's no negotiation there. This man needs to be to give his thumbs up to the legacy <laughs> of the Munsters in any form. <laughs> Well, if I'm not on camera, I could make a heck of a uh, 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 consultant. <laughs> you <laughs> sure could. <laughs> you are. Series coming out called Toy Scouts. Uh, we uh, because the Munsters was so heavily merchandised as toys. A gentleman friend who's the world's biggest Disney collector uh, and I have been working together, going around the country, doing buying tours, and it's a, it's a little bit like American Pickers, but it has more more around the picking as opposed to yes we get to a toy show yes we get toy collections we buy up neat stuff yeah but on the way we do the race car stuff and the americana stuff we do my coach to coast stuff so keep an eye out for toy scouts and uh, and that's the coach to coast and those are my two pretty much close to the uh close to my heart situations that are happening right now and and the funny thing about the Munsters is it falls into so many different categories. I, I don't think I'll ever run out of stuff to do. No, you won't. I, I'm telling you, just just hearing some of your weekly schedule, I'm like, this man 
just does it all. He's like a human ginseng pill. He's everywhere. So you're an inspiring human being, let me tell you. <laughs> and, on a, and on a personal note, American Pickers is actually my favorite show to watch. So when you just said that, I was like, I have to see this show. So that, you yeah. got me excited. It's a cool show, and it's a lot of fun, and we, and we enjoy what we do, and the people out there. I mean, I'm, I'm a... I'm a I, I really enjoy what I do driving around the country. So I, it's, for me, it's love. Oh, that, that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And, and you know what? You are such a generous human being. I am truly, truly honored that you took time out of your day to talk to me and to you know, connect with your fans. And uh, if you would do me a favor sometime, I would love to hear some of these paranormal stories you referenced earlier about a haunted house. Sure, <laughs> when no, you, there, I uh, will be happy. We can do another segment and we'll just stick with the ghosts. No problem there. That, that sounds... Halloween, we'll, do it a, we'll make a Halloween show out of it. I, you know what, Butch? Perfect idea. See, now there's a true marketer right there, right on Halloween. We're going to talk about this stuff. That is perfect. No problem there. We'll do it. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for everything that you have contributed to everyone's childhood and to pop culture in general. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. And I uh, hope your listeners keep watching. And look out for uh, American, American. Look out for Toy Scouts <laughs> at Go Coach the Coast, spelled with a K. I've got 17 segments up already and 20,000 subscribers. Uh, and ring the bell and put some comments in there i will respond thank it's, you it's going to be twenty thousand and one. i'm about to i'm about to add on so there we go okay. <laughs> thank you my friend Bye-bye.